Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Before we get on to this week's episode, I want to tell you about something really exciting I've been working on. As you might know, I had Rose in December, just before the first lockdown. So she was actually four months when we went into the lockdown. So I've experienced firsthand how hard it is to be a new parent right now. So I am thrilled to tell you that in partnership with Two, I'm offering a series of four totally free online workshops to support new and expectant parents in navigating this really tricky time. A recent survey completed by two, sadly and unsurprisingly found that 96% of new and recent parents said they felt they had missed out as a result of the pandemic and one third of new mums said they felt lonely. So the Parenting in a Pandemic workshops will cover what we know are the challenges right now for new parents, relationships, self-care, how to process becoming a parent in a pandemic and what your baby needs most at this time. The workshops will be delivered by myself, Dr. Emma Svanberg, who you might know as the mammologist, who is a brilliant psychologist specialising in working with parents, and Dr. Neka Ikiogu, who is a leading child psychologist. Spaces are very limited, unfortunately, and I think, well, I hope they're going to get booked up really fast. So head to my Instagram, motherkind underscore Zoe to book yourself on or the website motherkind.co. And please do share with a friend who you think you'd benefit. It is totally free to attend. I love the two clothes for the girls. I am so excited to be partnering with them on this. And the spring collection looks amazing, which I'll pop a link in the show notes for you. And if you attend the workshops, you will get a 25% off discount as well. We cannot wait to see you there. I am so excited to be offering this support and resource right now when I think it is needed more than ever. So please do head over to my Instagram, MotherKindUndercoreZoe, and click the link in the bio to book. My guest on this week's episode wants you to know that you are worthy of living a life that feels good. She also wants you to know that you are capable of achieving that. But you need to make a conscious decision about how you show up for yourself. This week's guest is Heather Chauvin. And after her youngest son was born, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She shares how that really tough experience showed her how far away she was from living the life that she actually wanted to. And as she went through treatment, she decided that if she did survive, then surviving wasn't going to be good enough for her anymore. She wanted to actually feel alive. Well, Heather did survive that experience and she began to consciously reparent herself. And she noticed everything in her life changed, particularly her children's behavior. I love this episode. It's such a 
incredible story. It's also a really extreme story. And I think that's core to Heather's message is don't wait until she did to get potentially, you know, a life ending disease before she, as she would say it, woke up. So this episode is inspiring. It's also challenging at times because Heather invites us to question our lives. You know, are we really living? Are we living or are we just surviving? So I hope you really enjoy it. I think this might be a conversation starter. So please do chat with me on Instagram, Melikind underscore Zoe. Chat with me in my DMs, chat with Heather, tell us what you thought, tell us what you hated, what you loved, what resonated, what you didn't get, what you want to know more about. So here is the episode. I hope you really enjoy it. Heather, welcome to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to our chat this afternoon. Thank you, Zoe. I'm excited. This is one of my favorite topics. Me too, obviously. (laughs) You've got three children. You're in lockdown too, so we're in the UK. How are things? To be honest, good. I can feel the stir craziness going. My boys are 16, 11, and 8, so they're a little bit older. I think it helps that everyone sleeps through the night. So we get nighttime sleep, but we're doing really, really good. And a lot of my story and what I teach, the first time we had lockdown, like a year ago, I had deja vu from when I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I'm like, we've been here before, we've done this before, but it's also given us an opportunity to really connect as a family. And I always say parenting is personal growth on steroids. So whatever you are avoiding, it just comes to the surface, but we're in a good rhythm. We're doing really, really well, surprisingly. Good to hear. Well, I'm so excited to get into your story because It seems to me that you kind of have this really pivotal moment in your life when you looked up at the universe and you surrendered and asked for guidance. Tell us how you got to that point. So seven years ago, I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. And it's interesting because people think, oh, that's what, you know, your book is about. That's what dying to be a good mother is about. Yes and no. So I became a mom when I was 18 years old. And I remember looking down at my son and thinking, I need to become the person that I most desire you to be. And with that, there was also this fear and guilt that I have already failed as a mother because I did it wrong. I did it, you know, I'm using air quotes. I did it wrong. I did it backwards. I was single. I was on government assistance. But I was like, okay, if I'm going to teach you anything, I need to learn first. And I don't know why that was like my thing, but I'm like, we're going to figure this out together. And hopefully I'll be one or two steps ahead of you. And then, you know, I can help you and support you. And so that was the driver for me into personal development. It was really motherhood. It just ignited that fire. But from then until when I was diagnosed, that was nine years. And so in those nine years, I left my corporate job as a social worker, went to school, got a traditional job. And again, it was like, not this, not this, not this. And so, but my whole driving force was, I'm not enough. I need to become the person I most desire you to be, but I'm not enough. So then I'm becoming this overachiever, this hustler, this push, 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 this, you know, addiction to busy, all of that stuff. And then 
when I was diagnosed, I read all of the books. I attended the retreats. I did the workshops and I had a huge transformation, but the diagnosis for me was the universe being like, are you finally going to listen to me? You do not need to suffer. There's a difference between hard and uncomfortable and suffering, and you don't need to suffer anymore. And so I walked out of that hospital. Surprisingly, when they said I had cancer, I knew like there was a part of me that knew it was confirmation that I was really sick. And I said, okay, I'm listening. I'm finally listening. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but I just slowed down and started paying attention to what do I want? How do I want to feel in my mothering? How do I want to feel every day? And watched how things were put in front of me to feel that way, or just perspective or asking for support. I want to talk about now with the perspective that you have and living your life so differently off the back of that moment of transformation. Because I think so many mothers relate to this idea of busyness is my worth Mm. and perfection and always like you say, pushing ourselves. So can you describe what life was like living from that place for those nine years? And now with the perspective that you've got, what that was really about? Well, it was exhausting. So I was never that ambitious, grade A people pleaser. That was never me in high school or as a child. I was always the rebel. I was the rebel. And I would question everything. But for some reason, when mothering came onto it, I stopped listening to that part of myself, but I still questioned. And I was like, well, I got to be good, right? I got to be good. So I'm just going to do what everyone tells me to do. So coming from that place, it was exhausting, exhausting. I always felt depleted. You know, you sit on the couch and you're like thinking of that mental to-do list. You're like, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. No one else could take care of my children. I was the only one. Nobody else could do it better than me. And it was just me. And, you know, my podcast is called Mom is in Control for a reason. I was just like white knuckle control on everything. And the feedback I was receiving was like, I was super mom. I was awesome. Like pat on the back, gold star. And so when I'm getting that feedback, I'm like, okay, I'm not confident. Like I already feel like I'm failing subconsciously. So okay, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Everyone thinks I'm awesome. Everyone is telling me I'm inspiring. But I would always in the back of my mind question like, why? I had a conversation with someone early on in my mothering and they said, well, now you got to buy the cheap shampoo. And I was like, what does that mean? Because I liked my hair. I like taking care of my hair. And she's like, Heather, now that you're a mom, you have to buy the cheap shampoo because you're just going to be giving, 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 giving everything to your children. And I was questioning why. Why paying a few extra dollars for something that makes me feel good as an investment in myself that I know is going to negatively impact everyone else? Why is that bad? And so these little sparks were there. And then post-cancer, I was like, I'm done. And there was like an isolating period that I felt because so often, you know, you're looking outside for validation or you're looking for connection and belonging. 
And I couldn't find it with women who were willing to say, I'm done with this. I want to feel connected to my children. I want to feel alive. And I don't want to feel this go, 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 go anymore. And so having to reprogram myself, how can I ask for help? Like something as simple as, I have a desire. I'm thirsty. I need a glass of water. Okay. I'm in the middle of something and there's like four other people in my house doing absolutely nothing. Can I ask for a glass of water? Like asking for help. Can you help me bring the groceries in? Like just little things like that. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger where now it's the complete opposite where I'm like the leader of the home and I just delegate, (laughs) delegate everything And I'm raising these independent humans who know how to cook a meal. And I can still cook when it brings me joy, but I don't want to be cooking from a place of anger and resentment. I want to be cooking from a place of love and connection. And yes, we still have to like get things done and I will still get things done. But now I can ask myself, how do I feel and how far away am I removed from myself? And now I see overwhelm and resentment and anger as a symptom. It's not my identity anymore. It's so powerful, isn't it, that you had these insights through nearly dying. Isn't it a shame that sometimes we have to go through such inexplicable, I mean, I cannot imagine how scary that was to think that your three children might not get to have you, you might not get to see them grow up. And yet... From that pain came all this wisdom. I was telling someone yesterday, a lot of times when I'm working with people and myself, you can see them getting close to the breaking point, but they're not there yet. And sometimes when I'm working with a woman and maybe it's her partner who, you know, she's like, how do I get my partner on board with parenting in this way or living in this way? I'm like, you got to control you. You have to be you. But here's the thing. If we are not allowing ourselves and others to feel the pressure, we will not crack. And we're really, really good at avoiding the pressure, avoiding the feeling of pressure. You can feel the physical pressure of like all the responsibility that's on you, but you're not actually feeling it. You're kind of numbing out to it, right? You're creating busy, you're on social, you're doing whatever. And I remember when I was diagnosed, I literally said to myself, I'm young. It's probably stage one, which will be fine. And we'll just figure it out and move on. And it was like, no, it's rapid growing. It's stage four. Your abdomen is literally swollen to the point now within two weeks where people are asking you when you're having your baby. This is ridiculous. I had to stop. And what we resist will persist and grow bigger. And it's like, we have to feel our overwhelm. We have to feel our pressure. We have to feel those expectations or we won't be able to totally surrender to what it is. And I see it with women all the time. I'm like, listen, I get that I'm trying to teach you a completely different way of viewing parenting, but you haven't fully been looking at the guilt and the shame and the overwhelm that you are feeling. You're feeling the pressure. You're feeling the little symptom, but there's been a numbing agent 
if you don't take that off, you can't fully feel the opposite, which is the joy and the freedom and the ease that you crave. So I'm not saying, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for cancer. I'm just incredibly curious and probably a little annoyed that as humans, we have to get to that point in order to really say enough is enough because I don't believe that we all need to have those moments and diagnosis. When you were, I guess, bed bound for a while, were you feeling those feelings that, as you say, you'd numbed for the prior nine years? And how did you get through that experience? Because in my experience, that can feel almost like a death in Mm. itself, right? Shedding and processing the old way and the pain of how things were. Well, you can't run away from it anymore. So that's fun. (laughs) That's fun when you can't run away from yourself. It was fear that I was avoiding. I did not know how to process fear. I would feel fear and then I would run away from it. So ironically, my youngest was a year old when I was diagnosed. It was in September he was born. So in September, I chose to not return to my corporate job. And that whole year, because I live in Canada, that year that I was off on maternity leave, I actively chose not to build my business. So when you're building a business, that is terrifying in itself, right? Like you need to know how to manage your fear. So here I was a few months in, not financially stable, and I've already cut the ties before I was diagnosed. So it's like, okay, you're afraid of like, how do I make money? How do I do this? Like my husband can't pay the bills by himself. What am I supposed to do? And then being diagnosed. There's a story I tell in the book, and this was a huge pivotal moment for me. I was home in between treatment and I was very weak and I was in the bathroom and I did a typical female thing. I was crying, but I was holding in my tears because I didn't want to inconvenience anybody with my emotions. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like crying, but trying to hold it in. And what's pulsing through my body is fear. I'm going to die. This is like the mantra I'm saying to myself, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And at this point I knew, you know, I'm a lover of Abraham Hicks and all of that. And I'm like, okay, you got to get into the vortex, but I'm like paralyzed. Like I'm really feeling the feeling of like, I'm going to die. So I'm sitting there quietly and I hear this voice, but you're not dead yet. In this moment, you are not dead. So I'm like, you're not dead. You're not dead, Heather. You're here. You're alive. And I'm trying to bring myself back to the moment. And then the next voice that came in, you have no idea how to feel alive. The opposite of dead is alive. You have no idea how to feel good. You have no idea how to feel alive. And that is truly what you are afraid of. It's not dying. And so in that moment, That's when I was like, okay, like I could feel myself rising. I'm like, I'm at my weakest. If I want to feel alive, what would I do? What does it mean to feel alive? And then from there, I went on this quest to what I call energetic time management. And, you know, everyone talks about this. I was a huge fan of Danielle Laporte at the time and her desire map. And I was like, okay, you're in bed. You can't do anything. If you were to feel alive today, what would you do? I'm like, you're going to push yourself to take a shower and you're just going to sit here and cuddle your kids. Okay, day one. 
And then it was like, the more strength I got, the more I'm like, what would that feel like? What if, what if, what if? And then it just kept expanding, expanding, expanding. But the fear of sitting with that, and I talk a lot about this with parents. I'm like, okay, what are you afraid of? Well, my child triggered me and I go right to them being addicts living in my basement. I'm like, she's four years old. Why do you do that? Well, because that's my brother. That's my family history. I'm like, okay, let's go there, right? Like your child is here to teach you to help you heal this wound. Let's go there. You are stronger than this fear. You are stronger than this story. Let's dissect it. Let's look at it. But we're so much more capable than we give ourselves credit for. And now when I go to that place, it's still triggering. It's still painful. Like you said, it still feels like a death but it's the death of the old skin of the old me. And now, even if it doesn't feel good, I will say, yay, like, cause I know good is coming. It's not so painful because I have past experience. I'm like, this too shall pass. I know this cycle. I know what's happening. I think it's so interesting, isn't it? About that question that you asked yourself or something dropped in and asked you, which is, do you really know how to feel alive? I mean, I think it's societal as well, is that we're kind of set up to do, you know, from day dot, actually, we're set up to do and busy. And it's probably one of the most powerful questions we can ask ourselves in our life, isn't it? What actually would make me feel alive? I think so many people, you know, me included in the past, would have no idea how to answer that. Or then the next stage, which is to go and start actually living. What does that mean to you today? How do you know that you're actually living, not surviving? Mm, That's such a good question. When you just said that around like us, I just think about like dolls and little girls and how from a very young age, it was like, here, you're the nurturer, like take care of everyone else. And so it is a deep, deep conditioning And to answer your question of like, what does it mean to feel alive or living today? I remember when I went into this online personal development space, everyone's on the quest to like, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And it was like this greater unknown of like, what's my purpose? And I watched The Secret and I thought this was a mystery and they never talked about action or anything like that. It was just the mystery of manifestation I actually don't think it's very difficult to figure out how to feel alive. I really don't. A lot of women, when I'm teaching energetic time management or they're coaching with me, they're like, I don't know what I want. I don't know how to feel alive. I'm like, I don't believe that. What I believe is that you know right now in this moment what you don't want. Write down what you don't want. I don't want to yell. I don't want to you know, you know, you're those little voices of not this, not this, not this. And you don't have to change everything overnight. Once you have your list of not this, flip it. I don't want to yell. Okay. What do you want to do? I want to feel connected in my relationships. I don't want to be depleted of energy. What do you want? I want to feel energized, like flip the opposite. And then ask yourself, what do I need to do today? So for me right now in my life, in lockdown that we've been in for a month and all businesses, ski hills, everything is closed. There's nothing we can do. How do I feel 
good. I'm not like singing from the rooftops, but I'm like, I feel great where this would have literally brought me down before. Why is that? Because my cup is not empty. And I talk a lot about, there's this little pyramid that I guess I created, but the bottom one is survival mode. We know what that is. And culturally we are taught to live in survival mode think about all the buckets of your life. It could be your physical health, your mental health, emotional, spiritual, money, time, energy, like just make enough, right? So survival. And then there's this state of momentum and then thrival and then abundance. So if you are living in a state of momentum or thrival in some areas of your life, and then this happens and it brings you down, you're not in a crisis state. You might go into survival mode for a little bit, but you're like, I can get out of it. Like you can get yourself back up. So for me now, I go on my calendar first. Every week I take a brain dump. I write it all out of what do I need? And sometimes I might just a journal prompt. Wouldn't it be nice if, because then I'm not attached. Wouldn't it be nice if, you know, I could have a bath. Wouldn't it be nice if I could blah, blah, blah. And then I try to put those things on my calendar, food, movement, very important to me. And then I put everything else on my calendar. Do I always follow through hundred percent? No. Is it a skill? Yes. But when I can be present with a child who is having a meltdown over school or whatever that is, and still focus on work at the same time, balancing it all, blah, blah, blah. Everyone asked that question my cup is full. My cup is full of me meeting my emotional, spiritual, physical, mental needs. And because I'm doing that, I'm not projecting anger and frustration onto everybody else. And when I am, I know that something is off inside of me and I always come back. I'm the anchor. I'm the leader of my life. And in this current season of my life, I do feel like I'm in a very winter season, which is, you know, a little bear type, like not grizzly bear, but like hibernation, doing the work, which is ironic because I'm headed for a book tour, which I love being able to do everything virtually and not have to travel everywhere. But it's just doing because I know something better is coming. So it doesn't have to be this highlight all the time. But when I'm craving sun, because where I'm at, it's snowing. When I'm craving sun and when I'm craving warmth, I can either visualize it or I can say, what is the feeling that I'm after? Coziness, warm. I don't want to be so pale. I don't know. Put some self-tanner on. Do something. Do something. Visualize the sun hitting your face and really get intimate with yourself because When you're so close to everyone else, I've pretty much spent 365 days with my boys and my husband and the dogs and my mother lives here too. That's a whole other can of worms. We can all get along, but I treat every day as like an opportunity for growth. I'm triggered constantly, but then I come back and I'm like, okay, what is this trigger? And I take radical responsibility for my emotional reaction and there's way less conflict because of it. So let's just unpack that a bit. How do you take that radical responsibility? What does that look like? Are you kind of unpacking that in your journal every night? Are you having therapy every week? Like how does someone actually 
do that, particularly as you say, if their cup does feel a bit empty and they are feeling triggered all the time, how do you make that shift? So journaling is a big one. I'm also a huge fan of Byron Katie work. Are you familiar with Byron Katie? Yeah. 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 So I'm constantly doing turnarounds in my head, lots of communication. So even with my husband and I, there's something I talk about, which is the red, green, and yellow zones. Your green zone is when you're feeling amazing. That's when your habits are being formed. You're like, do to do, we're doing great. Yellow zone is when you're getting a little agitated and you're getting a little annoyed. You feel the red coming. And the red, you cannot solve problems in the red zone. This is when you're having a tantrum, your child's having a tantrum, someone else is having a tantrum. And what I find is people try to solve their problems in the red zone. So if something happens during the day, there's an explosion you know, within a relationship or we're always coming back in our green zone and going, okay, what happened earlier? So communication is big in our house. I'll take an example of like wanting to be celebrated, right? How many times do we feel disappointed? It's our birthday, Valentine's Day's coming, Christmas, like whatever it is, a holiday. And this disappointment of like, oh, I wasn't celebrated enough, right? So I have this book launch and we're in the middle of a pandemic and I didn't have this story of expectation on other people of, well, they need to celebrate me. Why aren't they reaching out? You know, how come no one's coming to my front door with like bells and whistles and be like, woohoo, congratulations. If I desire to be celebrated, it's my responsibility to celebrate me. So I would sit there in my journal and go, okay, what are you going to do to celebrate yourself? And again, I was like stumped. I was stumped. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a process. (laughs) This is going to be a process to really celebrate myself and allow it in. So I've taken over the years, and this is from contrast, right? Being like, oh, I'm triggered again. I'm triggered again. But it's my happiness and how I feel is really my responsibility. And every time I try to give that responsibility to someone else unconsciously, the universe and life is like, boom, there you go. They're not going to meet your invisible expectation. So yes, I journal a lot. Communication is huge. Another quick example, yesterday, my husband was entering his red zone, which he doesn't do a lot. And I said, what do you need? That's our thing. What do you need? And oftentimes when you ask people that, they don't know. They don't know what they need. And so he just looked at me. He's like, I don't know. I'm like, if you could have anything right now, like, what are you craving? And he's like, sleep. I'm like, okay, I'm taking the kids. I'm going to go run some errands. You can have some rest, whatever. Resistance came up. He's like, no, no, because then I'm not going to sleep tonight. And I was like, okay. I took the kids anyways, because I knew he was resisting giving himself what he needed. I took the kids, came back. He was napping. Life went on, end of discussion. Old me, that's like fuel for an argument, right? You could let that negativity spill everywhere. And the reason why I had no anger or resentment during that exchange was because he does the same thing for me. And it's like the giving and receiving, the giving and receiving. So you can pivot quickly. It's taken a lot of intentional effort to get there. And really, it was me leading. 
So every time I'm angry at somebody else, I'm annoyed at someone else, whether it's a child, my partner, my mother, it's a beautiful reflection of what I need to do. And also living with my mom, she has like an extended house, like attached to our house. That is personal development on steroids. And she is my greatest teacher. I mothered my mother. Like that was my relationship. And then I ended up mothering everybody else. So coming back and being like, how can I teach her how to fish and not give her the fish? And so it's a constant on a daily basis to be solid in myself, but also navigate this. So I'm always processing and thinking, and it's like a skill. It's like a skill. It's not a one and done. Yeah. I love how you talk about that. And that was something that was super powerful for me as well. It's, it's really getting, not on an intellectual level, which is kind of sounds obvious, doesn't it? I'm responsible for my needs and my happiness, but actually noticing all the, as you say, really subtle ways that we can have those unwritten expectations, particularly with our children. I think it's really easy to slip into that, like the kind of unsaid rules, like I'll do this for you. You do this for me. I expect you to be a certain way. And, you know, I'm in 12 step recovery and we say expectation is a resentment in waiting. Mm. And it's so true. Like the moment I have an expectation of myself, of another, particularly of the girls or my husband, as you say, I know that's ultimately going to end in a resentment because people, they're not here to meet my needs, to meet my expectation. I'm here to do that. And if I have an expectation, like you say, communicate it. I say, oh, you know, it's Valentine's coming up. And so I said to Guy, this is my expectation. I would like this, 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 and this, because how's he going to know what? And then he'll do something and I'll be annoyed because that isn't what I wanted. Well, how would he know what I wanted if I don't say, this is my expectation. I would like no gift, but I would like a meal cooked for me. What would you like? And it's so simple, isn't it? But I think if particularly if we grew up in households, it sounds like you might have had this dynamic where there was not that modeling of clear communication, where there was people trying to take care of each other, control each other. It is quite a radical shift, isn't it? To be able to change, as you say, daily. I think it's a daily practice, how we're showing up in our families. Yeah. My parents were divorced and it was me and my mom in one house. And then me, my stepmother, my father, and her three children who are all older than me in another house. And they mothered me very differently, like complete opposites. And as a child, you're trying to figure out like, where do I fit? How do I do this? And you don't realize until you grow up or something happens your relationship dynamic. And then all of a sudden you're like, why am I angry or resentful? And yeah, and it can be parenting. It could be an addiction. It could be something that comes into your life. Like, yay, now I get to do the work. This sucks. I have to go down this path. But, you know, during this whole COVID pandemic has been very interesting because I'm in recovery for rescuing. I say I'm a recovering rescuer. And when you feel like everyone is sinking around you and you can't help them. It's like, they have to feel it and you're sinking, right? Like you need to course correct. You need to do your thing. It's like, you got to use the tools. You got to use what you've been told. And it was challenging to watch that and how you have to let go of these parts of yourself. 
there's no one and done. There's no like, okay, I've done this. It's a lifelong commitment because people change, they pivot, they course correct. And expectations are an interesting thing because they're conscious and they're subconscious. And you don't know because you could be sitting here and someone over there that you don't even know has an expectation of you. And it's that fear of judgment that really looking at yourself of like, if I'm afraid of other people judging me, how am I judging myself? And every single time I let go of those layers and layers, you know, people have asked about the book and they're like, don't you feel extremely vulnerable and, you know, naked and afraid? And I'm like, listen, I've been podcasting for like five plus years. I've said a lot on that podcast. I feel like I'm in a cozy room in my podcast for some reason, even though I know more people see it and hear it. The book does feel a little more vulnerable, but the interesting part about that is like, I know now that whatever comes back to me is a projection of what's going on in them. And I can also receive the feedback and say, that's a good point. Like I can listen, like really listen. I can sit with my trigger and really listen and say, do I need to take that feedback or is that a projection of them? And when you can really understand what is mine and what is theirs and say, wow, you're really angry right now. And you're just like, okay, there's your stuff. There's my stuff. People always ask, how do I not take on other people's negativity? And I would identify as like an empath or highly sensitive. I feel it all the time. I can feel it in a text message. I feel it all the time. I have this little visual of like this platter, like close your eyes and see a platter and see the crap that they put on your platter. And all you have to do is hand it back to them or just fling it on them. You're like, nope, this is yours. This is yours. And I visualize it. I'll be standing there with a friend and I could feel it coming. And I'm like, that's yours. That's yours. And it's just like, what is mine and what is theirs? But when we're not aware of it, we just take it all on. And then we wonder why we're angry, resentful, tired, heavy. I used to sleep because I thought I needed rest. And I realized I was sleeping because that was my numbing agent. What do you mean? You used to oversleep to numb? Yeah. Wow. As a, as a child, oh, I... As a child. Okay. Yeah, as a child and a teen, I use sleep as a numbing agent. I never was a big drinker. I would get severely depressed if I drank very quickly. So I did not do that, but I slept. I would just sleep, sleep, sleep to numb the anxiety. And then as I got older, because people say like, take a nap if you need to rest. But I realized when I was listening, I'm like, I don't feel rested when I wake up from this, therefore it's not life enhancing. It's not life giving to me. So I would challenge myself and go, what am I avoiding? Okay, go for a 10 minute walk and then you can take a nap and then you can rest. And I would go for that walk and feel energized and I wasn't tired anymore. But I realized I was sleeping to avoid something and it was heavy. The more inner work that I did, the lighter I felt And I was like, okay. And now my relationship to sleep is so different, but I've never heard anybody talk about that, like sleep as a drug or using it as a numbing agent. That's why I paused because neither have I, interestingly. It wasn't life enhancing to me. 
It's the same as, you know, people over exercising or something like that. Asking yourself, what do I need right now? And sleep was not always the answer. Well, that's the danger with this kind of world we're in a bit now with this one size fits all kind of stuff, isn't it? Like you need to rest, sleep, eat well. You know, it's like, well, no, because in my experience, I could use anything if I want to numb. I can use meditation if I want to numb out on that. I can listen to hours of YouTube's meditations and just numb out on it. You know, that's like you say, it's about that really powerful question, isn't it? What do I need? And as you say, I love the idea of kind of doing something and then checking in. Like, did that feel good? Did that feel good to me? And then this is empowerment and reconnecting to our true selves. Like, what is it that works for me? And I think another way that we disempower ourselves is, you know, reading all the books, actually, and thinking I'll do what she did. And she looks like she's got it together and she does cardio. I'm going to do cardio, too. You know, it's another way that, in a way, the well-being world does a disservice, I think, without asking those more powerful questions, which is helping people tap into their own power. And that's what I hear in your story. I think it's such a powerful story because of how disempowered you were and this huge transformation. I've heard someone call it spiritual entertainment, which is like, you know, you're listening to the podcast, you're reading the books, but you're not like allowing it to seep in because the second you choose to do the work, it's like, you're in a giant detox, (laughs) like all your stuff comes to the surface right away. And it's very uncomfortable. And the interesting part when I'm working with people, like within my programs or coaching, it's, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Hey, what works for you? And I'm realizing, I'm like, what feels good to you? And they're like, well, this, and I'm like, then go try that. Well, what if it doesn't work? And I'm like, this can be perfection, but it's also learning to trust your trust, really learning to trust yourself again. So the pressure is off for me to know the answer for you, but I can help you co-create and come to a conclusion. And I think that's a whole lot healthier than here's my blueprint or my six step guide, because the guides and the steps are going to look very different for everybody. And when you surrender to the process, it's messy, it's not perfect. You will know the how. Someone can give you the GPS, but you may get lost. There may be a road closure, right? So you have to be able to figure it out and find your own way, which has been life-giving to me. I mean, in business, in parenting, when you're like, pivot, course correct, gotta move. Like, what do I do? What do I do? You're really getting quiet with yourself to say what feels good. And I'm going to pretend I know what I'm doing for the next 24 hours. And then I'll be like, yeah, that worked out okay. And then ask for feedback, right? Ask other people that you trust, what do you think? And then let it fall on you and go, there's something here. I'm going to take this little seed and I'm going to try that. It's far more empowering. And I think you're right. It's so easy to get in that dynamic with stuff, isn't it? As you describe yourself as a recovering rescuer, yeah. You know, there's lots of people, unfortunately, in this kind of world who are not in recovery from that rescuing and are desperately trying to avoid themselves by overhelping others. But that's probably a whole other... <laughs> I know Daniela Port talks about that a lot as well. She wounded healers, and I think yeah. it's a fascinating subject. 
So I always ask the same question at the end of every interview, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? To know that they are truly worthy of feeling alive, truly worthy of feeling good. Because I believe at your core, if you have that solid, I don't want to call it confidence, but that I got this, I know what I'm doing your whole world is going to change in your home, in your community, everyone that you look at. And while I was writing this book and the more I just talk about it, like we're the ones that are going to change the world, ladies. We're the ones that are going to make the impact. And when you feel worthy of, I have a voice, I have importance in this world, I make an impact in my home, I have such an influence in every single human that I come into contact with. I think we wildly underestimate the change that we're going to make collectively. Yeah, you're so right. And the Dalai Lama said, didn't he, the world will be changed by the Western woman. But apparently, privately, he said, the world will be changed by the Western mother. Mm, I like that one. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for your time. And the book is just incredible. So I would encourage everyone to check it out. And I'll put all the links and everything that we've talked about in the show notes. So thank you. Thank you, Zoe. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.